What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Pure Evil on May. I'm your host, as always. Evil Eddie, we got a really special guest for everybody here today. I know I say that a lot, but it's only because 2019, we've just been uh, getting really lucky, staying consistent, and now we got Coach Phil Daru, who was actually voted MMA Trainer of the Year over at ATT with Strength and Conditioning, uh, also Performance Coach. And he's also doing like physical therapy for a lot of his fighters, which include Ioana Young-Jacek, uh, Andre Arvlovsky, Frankie Edgar, and he's getting ready to get Dustin the Diamond prepared for his fight with the UFC lightweight champion, Habib. What's going on, Coach Phil? How you doing? I'm good, brother. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. I mean, we got a lot to talk about. I mean, let, let me start right here. Let me jump right into the meat and potatoes of things. Your Instagram page, man. What what happened to your Instagram page? Yeah, the UFC took it down. What, what happened with that? Yeah, well, I mean, from what I've been hearing, I know that the UFC doesn't directly do it. I know they, they have a third party that goes over and uh, marks up any type of copyright infringements. But, yeah, it got shut down. It, it wasn't the first time. It got shut down in December. And uh, it was from one of my fighters. I reposted a fight. Uh, it was Antonio Carl de Zapato. He, I, I reposted a fight, him winning. And they got me for that one. And then I contacted the head of their media team, and he got it all situated for me. Fast forward to, like, last month, and um, they got me again for a 2017 post uh, of Joanna and Jacek actually winning her fight. So it was a repost that I put up after she won her fight. So I contacted the same individual that helped me out before. Shout out to, uh, to Randy from uh, the social media team over there in the UFC. But basically, it was all for... I want to say two and a half weeks. So it was a big hit to my brand. It was a big hit to my business in general just because of, you know, obviously Instagram is not just a, a form of uh, social media anymore. It is a business at that point because you are marketing yourself through it. But, but yeah, I took a, I took a little hit there and um, got Yoani and Jacek on the phone with one of the uh, with one of the guys out there. She actually helped me get it back, which was pretty cool, you know. Which is really crazy, like, I'm trying to explain to a lot of the older generation, like, you know, my mom, for instance, there was a big flood at her house, and she got a check for the insurance company, but the people that came to fix the downstairs and get rid of all the water damage, they charged her $5,000, I was like, listen, ma, that should be a $2,000 job, why don't you, if you're not getting word back from anybody, go on to, you know, Yelp, or go on to their Facebook page, leave a, leave a review about what went on, and that will actually leave an impact and they'll probably reach out to you immediately. Like social media is such a big, it, it, it's the mothership right now for every brand. So when somebody does that, it makes a big impact, let alone your Instagram getting taken down. I mean, I, I know you got like what, 20,000 followers or something like that. Or yeah, 47,000, yeah, 47,000, yeah, excuse 47, me. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much, it, it's grown a lot since the past couple of years. Obviously I've been in a part of uh, American Top Team as a coach for four years now, and it, it blew up from there just because of that. Yeah, and um, you know, for for me, I'm just constantly putting up content just because I want to give out quality information. On top of the fact that yes, it is a it is a it is a means to you know sell any type of my programs or products online. But I don't really do a whole lot of that. Like I don't I don't do a lot of hard sales or anything like that. I'm really just trying to get out quality information. And then if people do want to buy out the programs, well, it's available if you go, you know, click the link or whatever the case. But it is, I mean, for a long, for, you know, that amount of weeks that I had it down, it did, you know, 
it interfered with it a little bit, but again, I'm also on other you know social media platforms. I have a YouTube channel, so it wasn't that bad. Well, obviously, this day and age, like you see within the UFC, they're giving these fighters classes on how to promote yourself on social media. I mean, it really does make a big difference, uh, whatever impact is it's coming. And you have to be crazy. I mean, last week, I think some guy got signed to the A's just from a social media post of him doing the fast pitch at, uh, at a game beforehand. Like, it, it makes a big impact. So let's, let's talk a little bit about some of your background, man. You were training with Dean Thomas for 10 years. Did you ever think that you'd be doing what you're doing now? I know that you followed down the MMA path. You, you tried to become a fighter. I mean, what, what changed? What made you follow this path to get where you are now uh, with Dean Thomas uh, in the last 10 years? Yeah, I mean, when I started fighting, I, I first played football all my life. So it was, it was more of a, a career change in a way after I was done with college and I needed a way to compete. So I ended up you know, looking up the nearest MMA gym in my area. And uh, Dean Thomas had a school, and it was American Top Team Affiliate School. So I ended up starting to train there. And then, you know, just me being a competitor and wanting to be the best where I could be, I just uh, I decided, you know, I want to try to take this thing to as far as I possibly can. So I started to go all in on MMA. And, um, you know, you know, after about six months, I kind of figured out, like, this is a sport for me. And uh, so then I, every day, twice a day, three times a day, training hard, you know, uh, getting in there and, and training with uh, some of the best killers that he had at the time and also coming down to American Top Team Coconut Creek and training with, the, with these guys out here. So it was a good fit for me when I ended up being a coach. Now, do I, did I ever think that I was going to end up being a coach? Well, yes and no, because I didn't think it was going to happen as fast as it did. Um, I knew that at the end road, I probably would be doing something in this field as far as strength and conditioning or something along the lines of that. Um, but, you know, uh, I had a series of concussions, you know, plagued throughout my entire football career and on top of fighting. But I think mo mainly from football, you know, and I uh, had, had to call it quits and, and end up retiring at the age of 26. So then from there, I'm like, okay, well, my competitive edge is still there. I started competing in powerlifting and, and even bodybuilding doing strongman competitions and things like that just to, you know, stay with that competitiveness. Um, but I was like, I asked Dean Thomas, I said, man, I, I, I would like to stay in the sport. And uh, if you had anybody that you would want me to coach, you know, I'm available. So he said, well, it was just a good, it was good timing at the, at, at the moment just because he was like, all right, well, we actually, you may be in luck because the old strength and conditioning coach is actually leaving. If you can get your resume together, you could come down there and, uh, and try it out. And so the first day I went down there, I got my resume, like, right on the spot. And I trained Dustin Poirier, King Mola Wall, Tisha Torres, Hector Lombard, and I think a few others. And that was, like, my first day. So it was, like, my initiation, I guess you would say. And they all loved the training. They knew me from being a fighter, so that also helps from a buy-in perspective. And, um, you know, the coaches I pretty much knew as well, like Conan and, and, uh, and Mikey Rod and all those guys out there. When I started, and obviously I was a Dean Thomas affiliate ATT guy, so it was kind of like I was still family, so it was an easy transition, you know, from that perspective. As a coach, I've always owned my own facility, so I was a trainer by the age of 19, and I owned my own facility at 22, so being a coach wow. wasn't foreign for me. You know, it was just kind of transitioning into training these higher-level athletes, and uh, and I took to it because it's, it's, obviously it's a lot more funner in a way because now I get to work with guys that are, that are fighting on a big stages, you know? 
I think one of the most exciting parts about that. Well, first, what year was this uh, when when you made your uh, first day there as a coach? I think it was 2015 or 2016, somewhere around there. And if you just look at Dustin, if you just look at like some of the fighters that are there that have blossomed, even Joanna, I think. What did Joanna? I think she went there 2016, 2017, uh, transitioning into ATT, right? And it's so crazy. One of my favorite things about doing my job as a journalist is watching some of these fighters blossom. So I can only imagine how exciting it is for you to watch somebody like Dustin. And Dustin, man, I remember watching his biography back in the day and always getting behind him, rooting for him, wanting to beat Conor McGregor back then. And, you know, things are really unraveling now. People are picking up the momentum that's behind him. And even he said, I was watching some of his interviews when he was talking about you. He was like, I've never felt better. So what are the things that you think you've helped Dustin with, uh, you know, blossom and get ready for this fight with Habib? Well, here's the thing, man. Dustin is like a brother to me. So whatever we try to do, we, we try to make it as fun as possible. Obviously, he has a big task ahead of him. And uh, we want to make sure that he's getting the quality amount of, of reps in, in the wrestling room as possible. So he's doing a lot of grappling. He's doing a lot of uh, time on the mats. You know, even sparring is grueling because he's having to stuff takedowns. He's having to get out of positions. And it's a lot more physically taxing this time around than it is in any other fight. You know, with Max, we were able to do a lot more overall agility work and strength and conditioning in general. But for this one, you know, a lot of his wrestling is taking the, the place of a lot of the weight training. But it's not to say that we don't get in the weight room and we work on the things that he needs to work on. But fatigue management is a key factor just because the kid, even though he's a young guy, um, he's been in the game forever. Yeah. You know, he's been fighting since he was about 16 years old. He's, I think it's like 26, 26 fight in Zufa. So, and he probably has the longest standing UFC career as far as being in it still and being relevant and still being successful. So, I mean... He's had a lot of he's had a lot of fight camps, you know, and we want to make sure that a lot of it is uh, enjoyable for him, you know. So we go out. I try to I try to change up the scenery a little bit. Instead of getting in the gym all the time, taking him out to like you know either the beach or taking him over to uh, the stadium stairs and have him run there, you know, things like that to keep things interesting, keep things fun, and so that he can progress and not you know feel like it's a job. And once he feels like that, if you don't enjoy what you're doing, you're not going to be successful at it. So I want to make sure that he's enjoying what he does here. Um, and uh, when he needs to get down and, and wrestle hard, he does that too as well. So for the most part, nothing changed from that. I mean, we still work on our strengths. We're still working on, you know, isometric strength. We're still working on all the other qualities needed to uh, to evade those takedowns and get up off the ground if needed. Then I'm also working on his overall mobility and his movement quality because he's going to need to be, you know, he's going to be need of, needed to be mobile in this fight. You know, he's got to be able to evade and get out of there and, get his hips out of the out of the range of a takedown and things like that. So uh, we're working on that as, as far as we go. And then obviously his conditioning is top-notch. So we're increasing his uh, his ability to repeat bouts of energy because we want him to be powerful throughout all five rounds, you know. So that's what we're doing basically. And it's not, uh, not nothing far-fetched. I'm not trying to, you know, uh, reinvent the wheel here. We've been successful for six straight fights. I don't think we need to go ahead and change things up too much. Obviously, we're fighting the best fighter in the world, you know, from what they say, pound for pound. But, um, you know, I think that uh, we got the antidote to, uh, to stop his reign. Now, I also got to ask you this. You're bringing in some big names out there. You got one of the 2008 Olympians, Steve Mako, uh, joining him. But one of the fan questions that people wanted to ask you was, 
you know, what's the difference between that kind of wrestler and somebody that does Sambo, uh, you know, like Khabib? Well, I also, it's funny because I also train a couple of Khabib's old teammates. And I also train a lot of Dagestanians, you know, and, and it's not so much of a Sambo thing. It, 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 he is a true wrestler. Like, he does wrestle. He, he does have a freestyle type of, of uh, yeah, he'll take you down from the leg. He doesn't just go, you know, in the upper body like Greco or anything like that. So he has a full arsenal of, of takedown defense or takedowns that, um, that he can utilize. But for the most part, you know, we're looking at it from a full perspective of grappling because it's, it's MMA. You know, we're not doing a Sambo match, not a grappling match. We're looking to make sure to get out of certain positions that may be, you know, obviously uh, bad for him. And uh, work on our hands, man, and keep keep the boxing where it needs to be. You know, utilize our, our technique and utilize the strength inside the clinch needed. But there is no real difference, in my opinion, when it comes down to preparation. It's just making sure that he's ready to uh, to uh, handle what uh, Khabib has to offer him. And I remember watching some of the uh, embeddeds with Dustin, or it may not even have been an embedded, maybe in an interview, where Dustin was just sitting down on the ground watching some of his old fights, and he was like, wow, man, it's crazy how much I've really improved over the last couple of years here. So what are some of the things that you practice with a lot of the fighters like Tijuana? Is it a lot of explosive things? Like, what are some of the things that you incorporate into their game that, uh, you know, really improve? Even JDS. JDS has nothing but nice things to say about you. Uh, you know, finding new angles and, you know, his boxing skills. So what are some of these things that you're uh, using on a daily basis with these guys? I mean, I, I make sure that we have a, a wide range of, of methodologies and modalities that we utilize throughout the training camp, especially in and out of camp. I want to make sure that they have optimal mobility for overall longevity of the sport. You know, if they can stay in the sport longer, they're going to be more effective and, and obviously more successful. So first and foremost, we're making sure that we're correcting any type of imbalances and things like that. And then once they get into camp, now we're working on high force and high velocity so that they can be strong and also be fast. You know, I'm not just looking at it from a powerlifting perspective or a weightlifting perspective, and I'm not just doing any type of bodybuilding. We're trying to encompass everything to make them a better athlete or a better fighter. Whatever that we utilize from a from an exercise or a protocol perspective, it has to have high relevancy to the sport. The great thing about me is that I actually fought before, so I understand different positions. I understand you know, different force vectors that are going to be conducive for the fight for the fight itself. And then also I understand fatigue management and making sure that these guys are getting, you know, quality rest and recovery in between, you know, each session. So another big thing about all of that is obviously what you just said, being into the sports, being into mixed martial arts. How big of a difference does that really make with somebody uh, coming in? Like Ido Portal. Ido, Ido, I think that's his name. Ido Portal training with Conor McGregor a couple years ago. I mean, doesn't really have a history with mixed martial arts. What do you have to say about somebody that does, you know, like a movement coach? Uh, do you believe in that kind of coaching or no? Um, you know, it, it's effective if it, if, it, if it makes the fighter confident, you know, in okay. a way. And I think that they made Conor very confident in the way he moves and the way he goes about, you know, adding in his game planning. You know, um, movement and mobility are very vital as far as from a longevity perspective and making sure that the athlete has the ability to, to move efficiently. And that also goes into the conditioning aspect of things. Um, I don't really know exactly what the true definition of a movement specialist would be, but I know that at the end of the day, like you're, you're basically trying to make sure that they have better overall quality of joint health and making sure that they're strong in end ranges so that they have the flexibility, the stability, and overall mobility 
to uh, to do things inside the cage. So, um, I mean, if it helps him mentally, if he feels like he's getting something out of it, I don't I don't think it's a bad thing. I think that if anything, if it, if it does hinder the overall skills practice, then obviously that's something that they have to take into account and maybe have to cut out. But it's the same thing as if uh, my guys like to do road work. You know, a lot of times I know nowadays people are really not into the whole long distance running and things like that. And I understand that, you know, from a science perspective, but also I'm looking at it from a mindset perspective. You know, Dustin really likes to do his long distance runs. I think for the most part, it's more for just making sure he can clear his mind. It's like, it's kind of like a, uh, a meditation type aspect. So these things are good as long as um, it's beneficial in the right ways, if that makes sense. Yeah, and one of the fighters' biggest fear is not having the cardio, getting tired. You've you got a guy going five rounds, and obviously Dustin's you know, used to it over the past couple of years, but these people that sit at home and watch and critique, they don't understand how hard it is to go five rounds. You know, it's just, I feel like a lot of it has to do with, you know, being conditioned. But a lot of people at home, they can barely even punch a balloon for five minutes. But I want to fast forward a little bit. I want to ask you a little bit about Joanna because... You know, her changing weight classes, we're seeing a lot of improvements. Is it nice not to have to worry about the weight cut so you can, you know, practice a little bit more, train a little bit more? How much of a difference does it make not to have to worry about the weight cut and all that? Um, you know, for her, she's a bigger girl, man. Um, you know, people think because they see her when she does her weight cuts and when she fights, but when she's all season, you know, um, she's a thick girl, man. Not like, not fat or anything like that, but she has muscle mass. She's, um structurally she's bigger you know so it is a it is a big thing when you're when you're trying to deplete yourself and and you're not having a whole lot of calories it does hinder the training process especially getting closer to the fight when you're talking about four to six weeks out that's when they really start to break down the calories and they don't have a whole lot of energy to get the training done so i have to auto regulate and make sure that we are uh not like you know burning the candle at two ends per se you know so now i mean right now she's actually getting ready for the fight with uh with uh, Michelle Watterson yeah. in October, but we're pretty we're, we're far enough out to where we can still get quality reps, we can still get quality training in. But I know once you know four weeks out hits, it's going to be a lot more brought down as far as the volume goes, the frequency, and in time. I mean, as a true taper, when you get ready for a competition, that ends up happening anyways. It just happens a little bit quicker and a little bit more drastic when you have to cut weight and reduce calories like that. And you also have Tisha Torres getting ready for her fight in a couple of days. How's she looking? What are some of the improvements that you've seen with her uh, for, for this way, uh, training camp? For who? Uh, Tisha Torres, the Tiny Tornado. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, man, Tisha, I've known Tisha since I was about 16 years old. Wow, man, so how, how do you know her for yeah, that long? She grew up in the same area as me. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it's funny, you know, and... Uh, when I first started, she was one of the first girls that I ever trained. It was funny when I left or when she left uh, to go to Colorado and she fought Joanna and Jacek. It was it was a little weird for me, you know. So, you know, because I was working with Joanna, but obviously, you know, you know, Tisha to that degree, and I worked with Tisha before. Now it's good that she's back at American Top Team. Uh, but yeah, man, she's a beast, man. Like the way she's built, you know, her abilities athletically are crazy. She's, a, she's really fun to train, you know, when it comes down to it. And um, I really think if she puts it all together inside the fight and she goes out there and she just doesn't care, she's going to make it, make it a, a, a rough fight for anybody. And she could be a champ 
when she went to the inside that cage. Because athletically, from a physicality standpoint, she's already there. It's just, you know, putting it all together is the fine-tuning of it all. And the greatest fighters in the world know how to do that very consistently. How weird is that for you guys as coaches to, you know, get scheduled fights against people that you trained before or in the same uh, gym? You know, even uh, the recent fight with uh, Robbie Lawler and Colby Covington, that had to be pretty weird, right? Well, Robbie already left the gym, so it wasn't yeah. really a big deal. Actually, it was a good thing, you know, because I, I have nothing against Robbie, but, you know, Robbie kind of left the gym. He went to a rival gym, so it was a little bit easier for us, almost like we were all rooting for Kobe because he was like our home, you know, home team, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, it, it, and with that being said, it was a totally different thing when Robbie fought Tyron Woodley back in the day where we both thought, we, you know, they both were American top team, so the the gym was kind of divided in a way of, you know, coaches had to work with Robbie, some coaches had to work with Tyron, and then uh, we've had several different incidences like that with the PFL as well. So, I mean, it's really nothing for us at this point in time because of the fact that we are such a big gym and we have so many fighters at the high levels that um, we just kind of take it and go with it, you know. I mean, it's not it's not far-fetched that we might see Mazadol fight Kobe, and yeah. these two guys are best friends, you know what I mean? So... Um, and that may be the next fight. Who knows? You know, if, if Usman can't make the fight, they'll probably do something like that. So we're waiting and making sure that we have things in line, ready to go. We have coaches ready to go um, for that if that happens. Yeah, you guys are on a good run right now. 2019 has been a great year for that gym. Even Jillian Robertson, man. I mean, I remember watching her on The Ultimate Fighter. She's been on this show uh, a couple of times. But one thing that Justin was trying to tell her was like, I want you to be confident a little bit more with your uh, with your stand-up. And she just got a TKO this weekend. So, uh, you know, it, it's yeah, fun it's, watching these you know young up-and-comers. You know what's funny about that one is that Jillian, I've known Jillian since she was probably like 15, 16 years old. And, um, and the reason being is because she started out with Dean Thomas as well. And um, when I opened up my gym, she used to do my boot camp classes. Wow. So she was like she was like 15 years old, and, and she asked me, I want to start doing kickboxing. I remember the day she asked me, and I was like, well, why don't you go to this, why don't you go see my, my coach, Dean? And uh, the rest is history, man. She she ended up, you know, doing great things and is still progressing. And, uh, man, I have no doubt that she keeps it going and she stays humble and she stays working hard, man. She's going to be at the top, you know. I remember she came on the show before uh, the, her fight with Meatball Molly. And everyone was down her throat saying that she had no chance. She came on here and she was like, I'm going to submit this girl in the first round. You wait. You wait and see. And she did it, man. And then she's just been on a tear. I know she's got another upcoming fight. Let me jump ahead. I got one more uh, question for you here. What happened backstage? I know you're at the Tyson Fury fight. Uh, what did you see backstage with him and Tom Swartz? You saw them wrestle. What, can, you, can you explain that? What, what happened there? <laughs> yeah, that was probably the wildest thing I've ever seen before a fight, man. Um, so Tyson, we were back there. I was obviously with uh, Sullivan Barrera. And um, we were back there before the weigh-ins. And these two guys got in the ring that like, I already set up. And they were like acting like it was a WWE wrestling match back there and playing around with each other. Like right before the weigh-ins, like it was, it was kind of, it was, it was super surreal, like to see that type of, uh, you know, that type of stuff going on right before like a, a weigh-in. And then they got outside in the weigh-ins, and it looked like they were trying to rip each other's heads off. But before they were playing around with each other, they were having like a full-on WWE wrestling match. It was crazy. That is, that is really weird. You you would think that you know those two guys 
they wouldn't try to do that, but they're just like playing around that. You've never seen anything like that before in your life, right? I don't think I've ever have, man. I know I've seen some guys like obviously be cordial to each other or like shake each other's hands, you know, things like that, but never to the point of just like being playful and, and play fighting in the ring before they're about to go fight each other. Well, like when you say they're wrestling with one another, like in my head, I picture them, you know, uh, grappling or whatever. You're making it sound like play fighting, like WWF in the living room when you're like 11 years old. Is that what it was? Yeah, like they were making, they were, they were make believing that they were like the Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin type <laughs> style. It was, it was super crazy. I wish somebody filmed that because that, that's, that's great, man. I mean, I, should, I was trying to, but it was too dark anyways. I couldn't really see anything, but. Like, I could see it, but I know that the, the camera wasn't going to be able to pick it up. And then they stopped, like, right before I got my phone out. So I was like, oh, man. But it was funny, though. Let me ask you this one last question. We got a fan question from Ishmael at H-I-A-C-I-O-S. And he asked, what D1 or other wrestlers did they bring into camp to help with Dustin's wrestling? And I, I know that we already talked about Steve, but uh, yeah. can you expand okay. on that a little okay. bit? Yeah, man. Um, so... There's a very good, very good prospect by the name of Sydney Outlaw. And um, this kid now, he's going to be fighting for uh, Bellator. He's actually fighting uh, Roger Huerta next in about, I think, in October. Did he fight for Valor or Titan FC? Uh, yeah, he was on the Contender Series also. Okay, okay. I think he's been on the show, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he was originally with Frankie. And his camp, and now he's down here. He helped with Monster all for his whole entire camp, and now he's helping Dustin. So how do, how do you go about picking the right guy to, you know, set up, you know, with wrestling? I mean, like, who did you pick to set him up with uh, Max Holloway? Like, how do you uh, pick and Max, choose? I mean, we have we have a lot of guys, you know. Um, I mean, I know he got a lot of work in with Moicano, Anato Moicano, yeah. so that was, that was obviously going to be a good thing for us. Um, he got a lot of work in with, like... A lot of the other strikers in the gym that are that are high, you know, high level. I mean, he got some work in with Edson Barbosa. You know, there was a lot of good, there's a lot of good talent in the in the gym, man. So, but I would say the main guys were were uh, Hanato, Moicano, and Edson Barbosa, man. So those are two of the best strikers that we have in the gym. Why not have them uh, help him out for one of the best strikers in the UFC? Before we let you go, uh, you brought something up earlier in this interview about getting fighters excited again. Was that a big difference you saw in Andre Olovsky's fight? Because he really impressed a lot of people yeah. in that last go. It seemed like he fell in love with fighting again. Uh, it, was yeah, that the case? Andre is a special human being, man. Like, it, without a doubt, like I don't know how many people at his age are doing it and, and have done it for so long and are still very, very, like, willing to train hard and, and want to get in the gym and still do it at the level that he's doing it at. You know, um, he, he actually asked me on off days if he can do something, you know, around the house or like at the park or something like that. It's super crazy to see, but it's also very, you know, it, it's, uh, it's refreshing, you know, to see a guy like that at that level. Man, I remember watching him in middle school and elementary school even, you know what I mean? So it's like not to age him like that, but or maybe not to say that I'm young enough. Hmm. But uh, but I would say, at the most part, man, it, it's it's. Uh, I think that I think that he just sees that he has the ability to do more than what people think he's capable of, and proving people wrong is a big motivation for him. You know, so um, I'm happy to see. Uh, I'm I, I'm I'm happy to see him do what he needed to do in that fight and show people that he still has it. Because I know around the gym, 
he's still handling guys at the highest level here in sparring. So he just needs to put it together, and he did it last fight. So I'm, I'm, I'm uh, excited to see the next fight and what, what can happen then. Most wins in UFC history, Andre Alvaski. Uh, literally, this is my last question before we let you go. What are people going to witness when they watch Dustin versus Habib? Uh, what, what do you think is going to happen here? Without giving anything away, obviously. What, what are people in for? I mean, you're going to see a tremendous pace. You're going to see Dustin put on a boxing clinic. You're going to see us, you know, stop some takedowns. You're obviously going to see Khabib probably get some takedowns. We're going to get up. We're going to go ahead and, and make sure we create distance. We're going to move around the cage. We're going to take it into the later rounds, and then we're going to put them away probably around the third or fourth round. There you guys have it, Phil DeRue. Phil, I want to thank you so much for coming on Pure Evil MMA. Uh, I, I know that you had like a, a slight cameo in the game series. Where can people find that if they want to tune in? And obviously your YouTube channel and social media page. Uh, the floor is now all yours. Yeah, I mean, my YouTube page is pretty easy to find. Just Phil DeRue Strong um, on YouTube. And then obviously all my social media is DeRue Strong. So very easy to find. And what, what is the fight game series, real quick? What, what, what is that exactly? I saw that on your Twitter. Fight Ready? Is that what it is? Or the fight game series? You had a cameo, uh, guys talking about uh, your coaching or, or something like that? I think, you, I think you mean my programming. Yeah, so Fight Ready is a program that I developed uh, for pretty much anybody who can't make it to American Top Team or fighters that, that uh, need, you know, true strength and conditioning program that actually gets them ready for competition. So I developed a 12-week program for them, and um, it's available on the links. If you go into my Instagram or anything like that, um, you can find it there, also on my YouTube channel. But I try to develop a program general enough to where people can utilize it and, and make little changes that they need to, um, but also it's going to be uh, important for them to utilize for their fights. So, you know, that was it. I mean, <clears throat> at the end of the day, we've seen tremendous uh, results with it. A lot of guys and girls from around the world have been uh, telling me that they, they've, uh, they've won their fights through it. They feel stronger. They feel more powerful. They feel well-conditioned. So it's a good thing to see that, that I can, uh, you know, help help uh, help a lot of fighters out, not just in America's top team, but around the world. And, guys, we'll have the links down below for that and also all of his social media pages. Phil, I want to thank you so much for joining us here today. Last but not least, can you just say, hey, guys, this is Phil Daru, and you're listening to Pure Evil MMA. Hey guys, this is Phil DeRue, and you're listening to Pure Evil MMA. Thanks, Coach. I'll talk to you soon. Good luck with this upcoming fight. All right, brother. Thanks. God bless. There you guys go, Coach Phil, joining us here on Pure Evil MMA. What a week it's been, man. Just a quick update for everybody. I wanted to talk about this at the beginning of the show. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get into that. wasn't able to get home in time for this because I had to set everything up, obviously, when I did get home. But listen... The last week has been a living hell. If you look behind me, well, if you're listening to this on iTunes, which is you know a good 80% of our listeners, a couple thousand people a week, you can't see what's behind me right now. But for the people watching on YouTube, Periscope, uh, Facebook, you notice that this is not the studio that we're in. We are actually far away from the studio. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. This looks like uh, we're in the living room, right? Well, we're, we are in the living room. I'm not gonna lie to you guys. We are not in the studio. Matter of fact, the studio flooded. It got nine inches of water. It was bad. I literally woke up because Oscar, little brat, jumped on me and his paws were all wet. And I was like, what did he get into? I was like, all right, whatever. I fell back asleep. I wake up. You know when you wake up just to go to the bathroom real quick? 
wake up, I'm half asleep, walking to the bathroom like a zombie. All of a sudden, I started walking through water. Like when you're walking at the edge of the beach, literally came up to the top of my foot. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And it took a second to register how much water there actually was. It caused uh, about $10,000 worth of damage in the studio. But thank God for insurance. We're going to get that fixed up. And a matter of fact, by the end of this year, we're going to be moving. I'm going to be moving to a, a new apartment. So uh, it will be nice to enjoy the new studio for a little bit, but don't get used to it. I'm going to try not to get used to it because I'm going to get a place for a little bit cheaper. And uh, we got a lot going on here because... With the mold and everything that sank into the carpet, and it, it was bad, man. I was sick for a week. I had a virus. I felt tired, nauseous, uh, congested. It was awful, man. Ten days, or about eight days of me just feeling so gross. Like when you have the flu without the sweating and, and all that. It was it was nasty. So I want to apologize to everybody that was waiting for interviews or maybe tuned in the last couple of episodes that weren't on par quality with what you're used to here on this program. So... Uh, we are back in the grind. I'm feeling 100% better today. As you can see, got the nice edge up going on here. Nice new clothes because all the clothes got ruined. That's everything. Everything got ruined except the uh, laptop. I'm, I'm literally about to pour water on here and try to get a new one, maybe a MacBook or something crazy. But yeah, Phil DeRue, man, getting ready for, you know, Yoani Young Zizek, Tisha Torres fighting this weekend, Jillian Robertson, Dustin the Diamond, Andre Arvlarski, JDS. I mean, this list goes on and on. It's so crazy what's going down at American Top Team. There's Kobe Covington, Jorge Masvidal. What a year for American Top Team. And there's no, there's no doubt why Phil won MMA Trainer of the Year. Uh, I think it was for fighters only. So congratulations to Phil. I want to thank him so much for coming on. We've had a couple of crazy events go on in the last two weeks inside the UFC. I really got to apologize for not going through those for you guys this week. But, uh, you know, even even the Jermaine Durandamy fight, I know you guys aren't the biggest fan of her. But, man, I've interviewed her before in the past, and she is such a sweetheart. So it, it just it sucks what happened with uh, the Holly Holm fight, and then her turning on Chris Cyborg. Also, I got to bring up this, guys. Chris Cyborg posted a really racist Instagram post. And here in America, like, I, I tweeted this out, and a lot of people overseas were like, that's got to be an American thing. But, like, to me, here, what she posted was, she was at KFC, and she says, this is for all my African friends. So here in America, you know, the stereotype is, you know, people of ethnicity, the African-American race, like chicken, watermelon, and grape soda. And I live here in the city, so it's still, you know, a melting pot. I feel like my parents' generation is, and my parents' parents' generation is a lot more racist. This generation is more of a melting pot. We accept one another. I remember growing up and not even realizing I was the only white kid in my neighborhood. Uh, if you guys follow me on Instagram, you know that my little brother just got married. My brother is gay and he just got married and I'm so proud of him and I'll stand by him to the end. That's one thing I love about this generation. But also another thing about this generation is that people will find anything. With social media right now, people will find the tiniest little detail to latch onto and go, you know, it, it's the cancel culture. They're going to find something negative about you, even something from four years ago. Like Phil was saying about his Instagram account with the UFC, they found something from 2017 and it bans his account. People will find anything to shut you down. Chris Cyborg post picture of her in KFC eating some chicken wings goes, this is for all my African friends. People here in America are going, whoa, whoa really? That's the evil eye of the week right there. Evil eye of the week is 
how did you not know? Like, have you not seen, you know, every comedy movie in the last 10 years, last five years? Uh, you know, these sitcoms on TV? This is a huge stereotype. I didn't know it was just for America. You know, the Italians. What do people think about Italians? Do Brazilians not realize Italians love pizza? Do people in Brazil or Europe not realize that, uh, that Italians uh, love getting haircuts every week? That, uh, you know, you, you name it. There's so many different stereotypes out there. And I feel like that's one of the most well-known ones. And another surprising thing is, you know, in the past, Ray Elby would usually post for her. This time, I really feel like she took control of her social media. But what bad timing for it. You know, with the whole situation with Dana White and Chris Cyborg, Dana White going, you know, we're done with Chris Cyborg. We're out of the Cyborg business because her team, probably boyfriend Ray Elby, you know, I, I love Ray. He's liked a lot of my social media stuff. And, uh, you know, I love Chris, one of my favorite fighters. She's a sweetheart. And I feel like she's so innocent behind this, doesn't really know. Uh, she, she's trusting people that, you know, she loves. And unfortunately, with the situation with Dana White, they posted it on her YouTube channel. But the sketchy thing is, they edited it to make Dana sound a lot worse than what he actually said. And I feel like if Chris knew that, I don't think she would allow it. But, but you know what? It, it was all being used as momentum to get this fight. But it was really dirty of her and her team to go backstage and start filming that private conversation. But on the other hand, to kind of play the devil's advocate, Dana White knows damn well there's cameras everywhere. Did you not realize her boyfriend behind you? Or actually in front. Cyborg had her back to us, if I remember right. And Dana was like looking sideways, you know? So how did he not realize that Ray's right there filming? And I'm not sure if it was Ray, but you know, obviously it's the Cyborg team. They're probably all wearing uh, Cyborg versus Nunes two shirts. Just bad timing for this upcoming post or recent post. But she did have a response to it after a lot of her fans were in an uproar and felt, you know, really betrayed because the Cyborg Nation, man, these guys, I'd say the Cyborg Nation is more loyal to Chris then the armbar nation was for Ronda. And I may be wrong. I mean, take it how you want that. But, you know, right now with Chris Cyborg, I feel like a lot of people love to defend her because of the way that she's viewed. And this has been a huge talking point in the last couple of weeks here on a lot of different podcasts, uh, on social media, especially about how people view Chris Cyborg as, you know, not human. Go to a Chris Cyborg training camp she does you know yesterday she was working at dunkin donuts doing charity you know she was out in uh with my boy justin wren from season 10 ultimate fighter and i you guys know i've interviewed justin wren before in the past face to face got to spend time with him backstage for you know an hour or two and obviously i do a show with james mcsweeney from that same season of the ultimate fighter so, you know, Justin Wren and everything that he's doing to see Chris Cyborg go out there and help build those wells to get fresh water. She is such a sweetheart. And I'm so sick and tired of people going, oh, well, look at her. She doesn't even look like a woman because of the, the supplements that she took, this and that. Yo, go look at her mother. She's a spitting image of her. She's a spitting image of her mother. Chris Cyborg's a beautiful woman and a woman. And I, I just feel like a lot of people look at her and she's stereotyped. 
She's scary. It's bad, man. People look at Chris Cyborg and they think she's a dirty fighter and, and say what you will about the past, but it has nothing to do with her fucking face. She Go look at a picture of Chris Cyborg's mother. They look like twins. Chris Cyborg's going to look just like her. And then, you know, this whole thing with uh, Chris's adopted daughter getting bullied at school, it's just heartbreaking, man. So with this recent post about the KFC thing, you would think people would be, you know, especially her management would be a little bit more critical about everything that she's posting, especially this day and age. I feel like that definitely took a hit on her in the last uh, 24 hours. And you got to wonder, like, at first I thought Dana White was trying to play the card of, oh, so you're going to give us a hard time? You, uh, you're, you're saying this about the UFC? You're going behind my back? recording this film, we well, you know what? we're done with you. So I thought Dana was using that as like, you know, when you're in high school and your girlfriend breaks up with you, you're like, no, let's give me another chance. No, I'm done. You don't get it. I'm done. I'm done with you. And they don't talk to you. They ignore you and they act, you know, Rico Suave. And I thought that was a tactic for Chris to be like, oh no, wait, let me weigh out my options here. There's Bellator, there's one, there's BKFC, which I really don't think she should go to. UFC really is the, still is, and always has been, the number one organization. People go, oh, well, there's nowhere to fight. Is there people for her to fight that you know at one? Do you even watch one? How many events does Bellator have every year? You know, UFC is the go-to. When people think of MMA, they go, what is MMA? Oh, you mean UFC. But people still think, like my family, they'll be like, how's the WWF stuff going? WWF, they changed their name in like 1998. It's the WWE now. That's not even what I do. I don't do that. But yeah, I did my first interview at seven years old, which I bring up all the time with Stone Cold Steve Austin. And they were always behind me, pushing me uh, for this future. So, you know, in their head, this is wrestling and it's not real. But uh, at, at the end of the day, guys, what I have to say about the whole Chris Cyborg thing is I feel like Leaving the UFC would really be a bad thing. And people were disagreeing. I mentioned this on my, um, on my Twitter. At uh, Evil Under Dash Echo. Oh, and guys, we got a new Pure Evil MMA. Official Pure Evil MMA Twitter. Since we couldn't get back into the last one. And it's the same tag as our Instagram. At Pure Evil MMA underscore. But I brought this up on there. And they're like, oh yeah, she'd get paid a lot over at one. Or even going over to Risen. Uh, me and Mercy uh, from Team Cyborg were talking about her going to with Scott Coker, because Scott Coker treated her so well in the past, guys. Go back to the Strike Force era. Uh, he treated her amazing. And now in the position that he's in with Bellator, I, w I wouldn't be surprised if that's her number one option right now, if she can't get to the UFC. But even still, how well is she going to do in Bellator? How many times a year is she going to fight? I mean, I mean, how many times does she usually fight a year? Twice? Was she going to fight once a year over at Bellator? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Right now, everything's just a mess with Chris Cyborg. Let me know what you guys think about this on Instagram and Twitter, both at PureEvilMMA underscore or my personal page at Evil under dash Echo. That's E-V-I-L underscore E-C-C-O. Guys, there's so much news that's been going down. Uh, I, I got to mention really quick, Max Hollywood's Frank, Frankie Edgar. Uh, exciting fight. But one thing I was really surprised about was this past weekend. Colby Covington versus Robbie Lawler. Now, there was a post saying this was the lowest amount of tickets sold 
for UFC going to Newark in the last eight events. Gotta say this. Yeah, well, let's not forget. And James Lynch reminded me of this. He was like, yeah, the reason why this fight is going on in the morning is because it was originally supposed to be, I believe, in Russia. And when James told me that, I was like, all right, this makes sense. So when I saw that tweet, I think it was by our boy Kaposa. Shout out to Kaposa. If you're new to the MMA scene and on Twitter, and if you're in the MMA scene and not on Twitter, you're crazy. But if you're in the MMA scene and on Twitter, go follow Kaposa with a lot of interesting information. But when I saw that lowest ticket sales uh, in the last eight times UFC's visited Newark, I wasn't surprised knowing that this was in the middle of the day. This was in the middle of the day. And how many people, I, I complain about this all the time. It did well on ESPN. But how many people uh, can even get off the bed, off the couch, and excited to watch a fight going down at, you know, 9 a.m. on the West Coast? Noon here on the East Coast. I always say this. I say this a lot. It's hard for me to get motivated. Even though if a fight broke out, you know, in the cafeteria at school or in the street, anytime's a good time to watch a fight, right? Yeah, but when you're only interested in one or two fights... I don't know if I'm going to wake up at noon. That's the one thing. But Kobe Covington versus Robbie Lawler, man. I was a little surprised. I'm not going to lie. I interviewed Kobe Covington about three, maybe four years ago on Keyside Submissions, uh, which I, I, I don't talk to anymore for some reason. I still don't know. But uh, Kobe Covington, man, nice guy, great guy. But he's been putting up with the stick for years now. He's realized how to get people pissed off. May not be the most exciting fighter. But he knows how to get you to root against them. And how crazy is it that he had the Trump family there? Not Donald Trump, but the Trump kids. You know how crazy that is? I spoke with one of my friends over at ESPN, my friend Ashley uh, Rolla, which she's been here on the podcast before. It's out to her and uh, the recovery that she's went through. Very strong woman, an inspiration. Uh, Ashley Lauren Rolla was there and she was like, yeah, why are you here? Oh, I'm... Um, I know why you're not here because it was so hard to get credentialed because the Trump family was here. She said it was a madhouse. So when I heard that and then heard that there weren't many people there, I was like, what the hell's going on? I don't know, guys. I feel like it was a blessing for people over in Europe because we're spoiled here on the, on the East Coast with fight times. But guys, that does it for this episode of Curie Blonde Man. I know there's an upcoming fight card this weekend, but I will be reviewing that tomorrow. So make sure to subscribe down below here on Periscope, on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, youtube.com slash Curie Blonde if you're listening to this on iTunes. That link will also be down below. And you can find all the links at PureEvilMMA.com and all the latest MMA news, info, and tweets of the week. Also, merch. We are going to be dropping some new merch. I got a new design, which here, if you're watching the uh, video cast... Here we go, up here. Here, let me uh, put this on blast full screen. This is the new design that you guys actually picked out. You guys picked this as the new logo. And I fucking love it, man. I made this myself, and uh, we're going to get some t-shirts out with that logo on there. And I'm going to lower all the prices because I don't barely make money off this. This is for you guys that tune into the show when you go to an event, you go to an autograph signing, or you're just going to get coffee. And you go out, you're wearing your Purible MMA shirt. How exciting is it when you're, you're out there wearing your Purible MMA shirt and you see other listeners come up to you and go, yeah, man, fuck yeah. That's what's up. You meet the community in person. 
that's exciting. That adds a whole new element than, you know, wearing a, a, a red and black straight polo like I'm wearing right now. So if you guys represent and uh, love this podcast as much as I love doing it, and as much, I, I've really missed coming on here, guys. So uh, it feels good to be back, and I'm excited for tomorrow's breakdown. So tune in tomorrow. Probably be around the same time. I'm aiming for about 5 p.m. Between 5 and 7 p.m., I will be posting the exact time on my Twitter page at evil-echo. So make sure to follow me there at E-V-I-L underscore E-C-C-O for all the third graders out there that don't know how to spell. Also on Instagram at pureevilmma underscore. Uh, same thing on Twitter with the new official page. And Facebook at pureevilmma lowercase s. That does it for me, guys. Remember... Move lady from Pure Evil MMA, pureevilmma.com. Without evil, there's no purity. White knuckles to the end. Leave yourselves.